Welcome to today's Crit IQ podcast. My name's Todd Fraser. The development of a metabolic acidosis is a very worrying sign for any ICU patient, and its association with rapid administration of normal saline has caused confusion for many of us in critical care practice. Is the acidosis as significant as an acidosis that develops from other causes? How does it develop, and can it be prevented? To help me answer some of these questions, I recently spoke to Dr. John Kellum, Professor of Critical Care Medicine at the University of Pittsburgh, whose research interests include critical care nephrology, acid base and resuscitation fluids. Dr. Kellum, normal saline has been one of the most widely used resuscitation fluids worldwide for well over a century. Um, However, there's concerns that have been raised about its potential harms, most notably acidosis when used in large volumes. What's the mechanism that uh, is behind this acidosis? Uh, Well, it's a good question, and it's still a very controversial topic, despite the fact that um, the problem was recognized almost as soon as normal saline was introduced as uh, as a therapy. Uh, as early as uh, the uh, uh, late uh, 18th century, there was uh, already uh, uh, an understanding that um, uh, saline or other uh, unbalanced uh, uh, crystalloid solutions uh, could produce uh, metabolic acidosis, but there was very little um, appreciation or at least agreement uh, as to how uh, this occurs. The most common um, explanation that is is often given is that it is a uh, dilutional phenomenon that uh, the the, uh, the fact that at at, um, uh, at baseline uh, the uh, body plasma is a little bit more uh, alkalotic than uh, than neutral pH and that um, by diluting uh, the um, uh, the bases if you will a patient would become um, more uh, acidic um, in reality, that's not really too far off from, from the truth, although the, the underlying mechanism is a little bit more complicated. The best way to sort of think about it is that um, in normal uh, blood plasma, you have a balance of uh, different constituents, uh, charge molecules on both proteins as well as um, uh, electrolytes. If you dilute that blood plasma with a solution that has equal uh, positive and negative charges, equal anions and cations, the blood plasma will... Uh, shift um, more and more toward that uh, um, uh, neutral position, uh, and uh, ultimately that will produce um, uh, a blood pH that uh, is closer to 7.0 than it is to 7.4. It's a little bit of a misnomer, though, this idea of dilutional acidosis, because that suggests that whatever you dilute the blood with, it's somehow the pH of the solution that matters. And what matters is the electrolyte composition of the solution, not not the pH. Um, so balanced solutions, solutions that have a, um, uh, a, uh, a more physiologic uh, composition in terms of their um, uh, charged constituents, their anions and cations, um, will have a better effect on, on uh, blood plasma than uh, solutions that have a, um, an unbalanced um, um, uh, constituent, regardless of what the pH of the solution is. You mentioned the, the, it's more about the, ele- uh, the electrolyte composition. Uh, that's Stuart's theory that you're referring to in that, that statement? 
Yeah, it's it's not it's not merely a, a theory, but it's been shown in practice. In fact, the best evidence comes from uh, a, a, a a bloke, as as you would say, uh, down along. Uh, uh, I think he was in uh, Brisbane at the time um, on on blood. Um, it did support the the mathematical models that uh, Stewart put forward, uh, which provides a more uh, complete explanation for why this happens. But I think in clinical practice. Um, all you really need to understand is that it's the uh, it, 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 it's the relative concentrations of uh, of the uh, positive and negative uh, ions that are causing the uh, um, the change. Um, if you want to know precisely what effect it will have, then yes, the, the Stewart model is uh, certainly very helpful. Now, my understanding is that it can have competing effects, one on strong ion difference, but also simultaneously having effects on diluting out things such as proteins, which could have a, a, an opposite effect, an alkalizing yeah. effect. Is that true? Yeah, so that's very good. So, so the reason that the effect um, that you would have hypothesized by merely changing the strong ion difference of the plasma um, towards zero with dilution, uh, that effect on, on blood pH is not as significant as one would have anticipated because the effect is mitigated by simultaneously, as you say, diluting the, um, the weak acids. But because weak acids are weak and have less of an effect than the strong, ion, than the strong ions that you're diluting, um, the ultimate um, uh, balance, if you will, between uh, diluting a weak acid and, and, uh, and inducing um, acidosis from uh, changing the strong ion difference will favor uh, acidosis. It just won't be quite as severe as one might have anticipated. A little note of caution, though, there, and that is that um, critically ill patients frequently have very reduced buffer capacity. So their albumin, uh, and it's albumin, that's the major um, constituent because it's the charged portion of the um, uh, of the proteins, the, the plasma proteins um, can have a variety of different uh, charges, but it's the albumin that is sort of consistently negatively charged. So when you have very low albumin concentration, which is typical of many of our critically ill patients, the, um, the ability to mitigate that effect uh, that we've just talked about is, is reduced, and so you tend to see a, a somewhat larger effect of uh, producing metabolic acidosis when you give saline in large quantities to critically ill patients. Dr. Callum, it's often been assumed that acidosis is harmful because there's obviously an association between blood pH and patient outcome. Is, is it reasonable to assume that acidosis itself is harmful? I don't think it's reasonable to, to assume very much about uh, these things, but I, I do think it's worth noting that um, the, um, the human body uh, defends a, a plasma pH of 7.4 with, with a great deal of tenacity, um, which would probably tell us something. We know that in vitro that um, a variety of enzymes uh, are affected uh, because uh, the pH, uh, there's, you know, these proteins are obviously sensitive to um, uh, to the pH and, uh, and their um, uh, pKs are affected by uh, the prevailing uh, acid-base status. Um, there are a number of um, basic um, uh, science uh, evidence that su suggests that uh, a variety of enzyme systems and, uh, and, and proteins are affected by uh, changes in pH that can occur uh, in the physiologic range. So um, uh, I would describe all of that as being fairly strong circumstantial evidence that uh, uh, blood pH is important. Uh, I think that uh, clinicians certainly react 
to um, uh, to changes in blood pH, understanding that um, that uh, the patients that they see uh, certainly tend to have uh, more uh, adverse effects when when blood pH is abnormal. But uh, in terms of hard uh, epidemiologic science to support um, the uh, these outcomes. I think until recently, we've not really had a lot of good data, and I think the reason for that comes from the fact that patients that tend to have significant acid-base abnormalities also tend to have significant underlying abnormalities, um, many of which uh, have caused the acidosis in the first place. And so um, uh, it's difficult sometimes, I think, to, to tease out the, you know, the, the guilt by association, which may be part of it, uh, versus a direct causal link between changes in acid-base balance to, um, uh, to, to outcomes. I think with a greater emphasis in recent years on patient safety and reducing iatrogenic complications, people have looked at changes in fluid electrolyte and acid-base status as areas where we could improve because much of the changes that um, we're talking about uh, in the context of saline resuscitation, et cetera, are iatrogenic. And, and so um, if you don't have to cause these problems, even if you haven't been able to draw a direct link between their occurrence and uh, hard clinical endpoints, it's best to try to avoid them. Are there potentially deleterious effects clinically of acidosis? We hear of things such as uh, poor response to, to catecholamines as an example. Are there others? Yeah, I think the evidence to support those um, observations are, uh, are, are quite reasonable. In other words, you can, uh, you can show that changes in, in smooth muscle uh, reactivity to uh, you know, calcium fluxes and things like that varies uh, with um, uh, with the, with the acid uh, base status of the uh, of the patient, um, uh, some of our own work has shown uh, in animal and in isolated uh, uh, cell culture models that changes in nitric oxide um, synthesis uh, can be uh, uh, can be affected by um, uh, the prevailing pH. Um, and there are a variety of other uh, causal um, uh, mechanisms that can be invoked. I think what's harder to um, hang your hat on, so to speak, is that um, changing uh, the, the pH once it's occurred. So we can, we can uh, I think, somewhat uh, safely uh, argue that pH effects uh, can have deleterious effects. That's different than saying that I can repair those effects or reduce, reverse those effects uh, by simply uh, changing the pH in, in whatever way you wish to do that, either by increasing ventilation or, or um, uh, by uh, giving a buffer, for example. Um, so those are, in my mind, two somewhat different questions, and I don't think we have as good an answer to the second one. Recent research seems to have focused on the role of, role of chloride uh, in harm associated with resuscitation fluids. Is it possible to tease out whether the harm is due to chloride or due to the acidosis that results from low strong iron difference fluids? It's very difficult to, to sort out because, of course, the the, um, the experiments that would be required to um, to separate that would um, require one to um, uh, manipulate sort of one variable without the other. Now, we do have some evidence to support the idea that uh, a high chloride concentration in the blood is um, uh, is associated with um, adverse events, including mortality, regardless of uh, of the, the sodium level. Uh, this, this is uh, coming from, for example, um, uh, work out of uh, Toronto um, uh, just the last uh, few months. Um, but we also have evidence to support the idea that um, 
the uh, the acidosis that is caused by uh, these uh, solutions, whether they are because of a high chloride concentration or potentially even a low chloride concentration in the setting of an equally low uh, sodium concentration, that that effect on the plasma pH will be, um, uh, and, the, and the subsequent acidosis will have um, uh, effects uh, as, as we've described. I don't think it's, it's entirely clear whether chloride might have uh, effects that are um, sort of separate, if you will, uh, from their, the pH effects. Um, we don't have um, uh, a chloride receptor that we know of, and we don't have uh, a way of um, responding to um, uh, the chloride concentrations that um, uh, directly in terms of uh, the effect on, uh, on some of these um, uh, clinical outcomes that we're talking about. With these limitations of saline in mind, is there evidence that supports the notion that balanced solutions improve acidosis? Or if so, does it, do they uh, improve patient-centered outcomes? So there's a, a, an abundance of evidence to support um, the effects of, um, of saline versus balanced electrolyte solutions on acid base, and there's, there's really very little question that shows that um, the metabolic acidosis occurring with saline can be mitigated by uh, giving a balanced electrolyte solution. The harder question is the second one that you pose, which is um, does this have an effect on clinical outcomes? And I, I guess it depends on what you mean by clinical outcomes So, um, and, and by how strong the evidence is. There's, there's a large body of evidence to support physiologic effects, um, delayed urination, uh, delayed um, uh, return to normal um, uh, dietary, uh, um, uh, uh, normal GI function in uh, patients uh, with abdominal surgery, for example. Uh, there's um, a variety of, uh, of patient uh, uh, symptomatology, which uh, changes as a result of uh, giving balanced solutions versus saline. Um, but those aren't particularly strong uh, clinical uh, outcomes. Um, there is recent evidence uh, from, um, uh, from a number of uh, studies, the most uh, strongest with which I think is a, as a crossover study where um, removing uh, um, unbalanced solutions um, resulted in both a uh, biochemical change as expected, uh, less metabolic acidosis, uh, but it also resulted in a, um, a substantially lower uh, rate of acute kidney injury and need for dialysis. Um, now, that's not a randomized controlled trial, and I think um, critics will argue that uh, it's not as strong evidence as we, we need. I, I guess my view on that is, is that um, given the preponderance of evidence we have from both observational studies and animal studies, when we're talking about a patient safety issue uh, and one that we can completely uh, avoid with, um, by, by simply not giving large quantities of, um, of uh, normal saline and other unbalanced solutions, it's, it's not clear to me that we need randomized clinical trial evidence uh, when these alternatives are available. Given that there's a number of balanced solutions on the market now, is there a best one in your view? Well, and that's a problem. Uh, I, I think all of the, um, uh, and I think the one, I, well, uh, I think all of the solutions that are um, sort of uh, commercially available, at least in the United States, are um, uh, have limitations. So uh, lactated ringer solutions, which of course have been around for, for a long time, are slightly isotonic. 
Um, they used to have um, uh, a, a racemic mixture of um, D and L lactate, and there was some evidence uh, to support the the idea that um, uh, the the D lactate, um, which is not uh, physiologic, uh, resulted in uh, um, some adverse effects, particularly when given in large quantities. More recently, uh, um, solutions uh, containing only the L. Uh, isomer uh, don't really have that uh, um, concern, but nevertheless, um, it does have that sort of uh, history behind it. Um, other solutions uh, tend to have large quantities of, of buffers which are not um, necessarily physiologic, acetate, gluconate, citrate is in some of them. And so, um, you know, is that, a, is that an appropriate, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, buffer um, given that, um, you know, we don't have large quantities of, um, of uh, gluconate uh, in our, um, uh, you know, in our bloodstream um, uh, typically? Uh, one would imagine that a solution which uh, contained bicarbonate as the buffer, the way our blood contains bicarbonate as the uh, as the buffer, would be the best approach. But but there's a uh, concern about um, the markedly reduced shelf life associated with um, um, having a solution contained bicarbonate uh, because of its uh, degassing from the from the uh, from the bag. Uh, Dr. Callum, acidosis is commonly uh, cited as an indication for renal replacement therapy. Is this justified given what we know about acidosis? Well, um, I think that um, it can be. Um, certainly, um, um, much of metabolic acidosis is, um, uh, occurs in a setting where, where uh, it's self-limited once the underlying disease can be um, appropriately managed. And uh, I think the classical teaching is to treat the underlying disease, and I think that's, that is appropriate and, and usually the best uh, medicine. Um, but there are times when uh, metabolic acidosis uh, can't be managed uh, effectively, uh, particularly when there's kidney um, uh, injury, um, and, uh, and therefore um, uh, dialysis does make sense. I, I think it's rare for us to begin renal replacement therapy solely on the basis of metabolic acidosis, although it's not on heard of, um, it's more common that it's one of those indications that are uh, together with fluid overload and, and hyperkalemia, et cetera, uh, that lead people to, um, to treat with, um, with uh, uh, dialysis when, um, when that occurs. I will say that um, the advantage of renal replacement therapy is that you can manipulate the plasma uh, strong ion difference and the plasma electrolyte concentration in a way that you can't really easily manipulate by simply adding things like bicarbonate drips to the uh, to the blood. And so by, by altering, uh, by having sort of full control, if you will, uh, of uh, plasma um, uh, uh, electrolyte composition, which you can achieve at least over time with uh, renal replacement therapy, it, it does give you a tool uh, to, uh, to control uh, that particular problem in a way that you really can't get at with other treatments. Finally then, to that end, um, is there a best mode of renal replacement therapy that manages uh, acidosis in the acutely ill patient? So in, in the acutely ill patient, I, I think there's very little question that um, management with CRRT is, is, a, um, uh, is superior uh, simply because of the fact that these are dynamic uh, processes and, and simply by treating for three hours a day and, and not coming back for, t for 24 or 48 hours, 
uh, doesn't give you much of an opportunity to really manage the, uh, the acid base um, uh, uh, status of the patient if they're acutely ill or, or particularly if they have um, underlying uh, problems that are acutely contributing to their metabolic acidosis. More chronically, uh, acidosis, which is accumulating um, uh, in patients with renal failure, uh, I think is, an, is a different story, and I think that uh, treating those patients with intermittent therapy, as is commonly done, uh, is, is, is quite reasonable. Dr. Kellum, thank you very much for your time today. Sure, my pleasure. If you enjoyed today's podcast, why not check out our websites, Critique and Crit Nurse? Our websites are leading providers of online critical care education and include podcasts, journal clubs, online presentations, modules, and much, much more. You can also join our free blog to help you stay up to date. Our websites are found at www.crit-iq.com and www.crit-nurse.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter or visit us at the iTunes store. While you're there, check out our data interpretation and CT interpretation apps. Critique, making critical care education easier.